Thank you, Dorothy. What a wonderful message and song. Hope we have in Christ. Man, I enjoyed the fall festival last night. I did good while I was there, and then I got home and it was on. Man, candy was everywhere. About made myself sick, but uh, you know that's the thing with food. It's fun for the first fifteen minutes, and then something happens if you overdo it. But uh, what a great time to be together and uh, appreciate everyone making that happen. You know, there's so much stuff that goes on around here, and we, if we're not careful, we can take it for granted. But parts of the body of Christ here all fill in the holes to make the stuff happen around here, and uh, so many of you. And I'm so grateful for all of you that do that. We're starting a new series this morning. Um, I thought about not doing that at first. Next week is Baptist Men's Day or Men's Day, and be a great opportunity for the guys to uh, lead the service and cook some food for us. It should be interesting, <laughs> a good time. Uh, but we'll start in the Book of Ecclesiastes this morning. And, and a series of messages. And the title of this series, The Search. It used to be in our country that the Bible was foundational. It used to be that everyone, when they grew up, was familiar with the Scripture. That they knew Bible stories. They, they knew who Christ was. But that's no longer true. The majority of Americans around us know very, very little about the Scriptures. And there is a frantic search for meaning, guys, that is all around us. People want to know where answers are. And many people are being destroyed because they're looking for answers in the wrong places. And part of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ is that we truly do have the treasure. And we, we have the hope. And we need to find a way to communicate that hope to a world that is desperately searching, desperately looking. And there's so much disillusionment. And we're going to uh, look at a guy known as the teacher many feel was King Solomon, a guy who obviously, uh, on the outside at least, appeared that he had it all. But he was searching, trying to find hope. He was at a point in his life when these words were penned that he was very disillusioned. Uh, This is a quote um, from a guy that says, I feel so alone sometimes. The night is quiet for me. I would love to be able to go to sleep. I'm glad everyone is gone now. I'll probably not rest. I have no need for all of this. Please help me, Lord. Elvis Presley. Just after one of his last concerts. A guy who seemingly had it all and yet he confessed and, 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 and wrote these words. I'd love to go to sleep, but I, I can't. I feel so alone. And yet, that's the word of so many. Uh, Here's a quote here from uh, Robert Benson that I saved years ago that I really appreciate. He says, uh, I think the life cycle's all backwards. You should die first, get that out of the way, then live 20 years in an old age home. 
You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch. You go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. (laughs) You go to college until you're ready for high school. You go to grade school. You become a little child. You play. You have no responsibilities. You become a little baby. You go back in the womb. You spend your last nine months floating. (laughs) And you finish off as a gleam in your parents' eye. What a thought. But let's let's look uh, here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 11 verses this morning. And I encourage you when you find that to stand in God's honor. As is our practice around here. I'm going to read. Read from the scriptures. I encourage you to follow along silently. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea. Yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Let's pray. Father, as we look at the Scripture this morning, Father, uh, speak to our hearts. Uh, May Your Spirit speak, O Lord. Uh, God, we have so much need. And I pray this morning that you might have a freedom to move among us, that we might respond in faith. Uh, Father, that there might be a a fire, uh, just a love for you. And God, that you might be able to do what you desire among us, O Lord. Uh, Father, just speak to us. We need to hear from you, Master. Thank you for each one here, God. We are not here by accident. But as a a divine appointment, we have been gathered. So have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's begin by looking at the writer here in uh, the first verse here. We introduce to him as the teacher. The word literally means to assemble, to collect. Speaking of a teacher who collects together, assembles together philosophies of life, who gives us different views that he has observed as he has looked around seeking to find the meaning of life, working through what life is about. Solomon was a guy that, uh, quite frankly, you look at him, he had it all. He had riches, he had money, he had discernment sent from God. Um, he certainly knew what it was like to have romantic relationships with a, a thousand, uh, 
thousand ladies, as the scripture tells us. But in First Kings four thirty, we read about him. It says uh, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezrahite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mael. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. He was also a guy that was a builder. Uh, We read that he rebuilt the temple. We read that he rebuilt the roads. We read that he took Jerusalem and and he he worked on Jerusalem and and he rearranged things within the city. Uh, He was a man of prayer. One of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible was when the temple was dedicated and Solomon prayed. Uh, Psalm 72 is ascribed to Solomon. Solomon, as as we read here in this text, we see a guy is at a point in his life where instead of looking vertically, he just looks horizontally. He looks around him and leaves God out. And that's why he's so disillusioned. We cannot leave God out of life. We end up disillusioned. We read, uh, like I said, that he was associated with a, a thousand ladies, wives and concubines, and the Bible says his wives turned his heart away from God. Uh, Socrates said, uh, by all means, get married. If you find a good wife, you'll be happy. If not, you'll become a philosopher. Uh, there's a lot that can be learned, certainly, through those relationships. But as he looked around him... He was destitute. I mean, he had lost his way. And, and I think there's a couple lessons that we can learn as we look here in this book. The first lesson is that it puts us back in tune with those who don't know Jesus. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can come to church and we can insulate ourselves from the world in such a way that we can really just avoid those who don't know the Lord. And we can just kind of pat ourselves on the back and be happy that we've been so good to go to church meetings and forget that we're not here for ourselves. But we're here to touch a world that has lost its way, that needs the Lord. Um, It's so important to be in, in tune with what God longs for. And a second reason is to warn us. Man, when we get off track, when we start leaving God out of our lives, um, it's a recipe for disaster. A number of years ago, there was a guy in San Jose, California named Luke Goodrich who was burning brush in his backyard and the fire got away from him. Uh, By the way, they had put a ban out there that it was too dry and you shouldn't burn things in your yard, but Luke did it anyway. It got so out of control, by the time it was over, it required 300 helicopters. (laughs) And uh, 
it required 400 firefighters, or not 300 helicopters, six helicopters, excuse me, six helicopters and 400 firefighters to put out the fire. But what's really interesting about it was Luke was the uh, chief of the uh, fire department in San Jose, California. (laughs) So if there was anyone that should have been cautious, it was Luke, and yet he wasn't. Which says to us, we have to be, we have to be careful. We have to walk close with God and we have to desire to be near Him because we stray so quickly. And before long, we're away from our Father, our Heavenly Father, and we're lost and we're wandering and we're in trouble. And so this book provides a warning of a guy, the wisest in the world, and yet he became foolish in separating himself away from God. Uh, look at the motto of the book here uh, in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh, Basically, he's saying, I've tried it all and I'm empty. None of it fulfilled me. And uh, there is the repetition just uh, emphasizes more and more what he is feeling in his heart, what he's communicating, that there's this sense of vanity, the sense of emptiness. The sense of nothing matters. Emptiness to the max times ten. It's all bad. Pessimistic. Um, Like the two pessimists that met, instead of shaking hands, they just shook heads. The world's gone to pot. There's nothing good to look at. We're all doomed. Um, One of my favorite stories of the pessimists is the two farmers and they got together and one was a pessimist, one was an optimist and the pessimist, uh, no matter what you said, it was going to be negative. So the optimist said, it is a beautiful sunny day. The pessimist said, yeah. He said, that sun's going to just scorch the crops, burn up the seed. That's all it's going to do. Next day it rained. He talked to him and said, we need this rain so that the plants will be able to take root and grow. He said, oh, it'll flood it out and it'll never grow. So finally he had the perfect idea to get this guy to see things in a positive light. He took him hunting. He got out on the river and they were shooting for birds and shot a bird and he had his bird dog. He said, this is an amazing bird dog. So he shot a bird, fell in the water a little bit down the river and he pointed that bird, I mean, that dog jumped on top of the water, ran on top of the water, picked up the bird, ran back on top of the water in the boat. And the farmer's just going. And that pessimistic farmer looked at him and said, can't swim, can he? <laughs> Man, this is a guy. He was seeing things in a negative light, in a negative way. Um, in verse 3, he says, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Twenty-nine times through this book, we see that phrase, under the sun. Um, over and over again, he's looking around him instead of looking up and instead of finding hope in the Lord. Man, life will burn you up if you don't look up. <laughs> he, needed to, he needed to look up to the Lord. Some people, they pursue and they pursue in order to gain and to find fulfillment. And there are even people that pursue their way all the way to what they perceive to be the top, but still feel empty. 
still are not fulfilled. Um, I think of the story of Alexander the Great in history. He had conquered every place in the known world, and it turned and said he cried. Poor, poor little Alexander. <laughs> and he said, there are no more kingdoms to conquer. This is Solomon's plot. I mean, he tried it all, he had it all, and yet he felt empty. As we go down through verses 4 through 11, we see a sense of emptiness, monotony, boredom that occurred. It says in verse 4, Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. See the monotony, just the cycle of going through the routine over and over. The sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course, this boring cycle, Solomon says. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full, to the place the streams come from, and they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. I never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of its filling. What has been will be again. (laughs) What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new. Under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Solomon says, man is the crown of God. The apple of his eye. And yet, life just goes through this boring routine and and monotony. And people are born and and people die and there's a time for all this but it just passes swiftly. And and what's the purpose? What's the meaning? What's the use? You know, I look up and I googled uh, each day. It it said 358,192 people are born. So there's people in places that are just overjoyed as they look at those perfect little hands and those perfect little feet. We all know the joy of just that little one. I had the opportunity the other day when we were at the hospital to see Miss Harper. We were also able to go see little Abigail that was just born. You know, once again, I got to see this perfectly little features of a baby. What What a miracle that is. But then there are also 154,889 people who die. So there are people who are in cemeteries, there are people who are in places beside a loved one who takes that last breath, there are people who who struggle um, as they grieve over the death of a loved one. And, and Solomon looked at this and and he was hurting as he thought about how temporal life was, how it goes so quickly, how it fades so fast. And you think of other things uh, through nature that appear to last so much longer. Uh, the redwoods in California, some of them they say were actually there at the time Jesus was upon the earth in human form. Or the mountains of, that which we live in that are so beautiful and, and so majestic and have been here so long and have seen so many people walk upon them. So much that occurs and He... He just looked around and he said, what's it matter? You know, it's interesting. He, he looks at all of this and he says, monotony. The prophets look at it and they say, it is a picture of God in His majesty and His power and His faithfulness. 
It's amazing how we can look at the same thing and see it differently. Solomon looks at all these great things of, of how the, the earth continues to function and how God keeps it in place. He says it's just boring. It's so routine. Same thing day after day after day. And yet you look in Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the other prophets and they proclaim God is faithful when we look at how the earth continues to function. I just wrote down a few facts uh, from the Institute of Creation Research. Uh, Number one deals with the rotation of the earth. This is amazing to me. The speed of the rotation around the orbit of that the earth takes around the sun is a 292 million mile orbit. And we talk about putting something on cruise control. (laughs) That's a big cruise control, 292 million miles. And yet it travels at just the right speed to keep the temperatures and the other conditions right for life to be able to survive in this place. 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, 45.51 second (laughs) round trip. What's amazing, though, it is accurate to support life to a thousandth of a second. A thousandth of a second. That doesn't happen by mere chance. That is a sign of God's awesome, incredible faithfulness for us. And then I read about the energy of the sun. It's interesting. It said we get one billionth of the sun's daily output here upon the earth, and yet that's enough to generate 130 trillion horsepower each day. No wonder we're looking for solar power. That's a lot of power to be tapped that God gives us. It's just one billionth of the sun's power that comes our way. Um, thirdly, there's the distance of the moon, which is just the right distance. If it was any closer, there could be immense tidal waves that would put the whole world underwater, uh, where the whole world would be at least one and a half miles underneath water. But the moon is just the right distance. And then water, which covers 70% of the earth, uh, it absorbs heat 10 times as fast as steel. And through the day, the water around the earth absorbs the heat of the sun, traps in, keeps the earth at the temperature that's comfortable for life. And then at night, it releases that heat and keeps the earth from getting too cold and being a comfortable temperature. And the air does just the opposite. If the air here did not rise when it became warm, it would be too hot for us, would make it unbearable, would make it very uncomfortable. But God has made it in such a way that when the air gets warm down here at our level, it it rises up and then it cools at a higher altitude, elevation. God takes care of, of the temperature and the way that He works. And then, just the atmosphere. If the atmosphere was thinner, many of the meteors that come through would not be burned up, but would hit the earth and cause all kinds of damage. But all those things that happen, guys, they're not by accident. But they are from our Master, who loves us, who is faithful to us. Um, it's not monotony. It's not boredom. You know, it's not... As Solomon talks, it's almost like the laundry cycle, you know? You get the dirty clothes and you put it in the hamper and and then you take it, you know, downstairs in a basket and you wash it and then you fold it and you put it back in a drawer and then it ends up in the floor. It's supposed to be in the hamper. And then it ends up in the hamper. And the whole cycle starts again. God's faithful to us. 
You know, basically, as we come through this opening message, here's a guy that he had the stuff, but he had a hole in his soul. And he basically was saying, as we see in the book, when you leave God out, it's empty, it's futile, it's meaningless. There was a a shipman who was given a task of guiding the ship, of taking control and steering a battleship to a location. And man, he was on top of it. He took off and he... He gave orders when the time came and amazingly enough, they went into gear and he actually broke a naval record and arrived at the destination faster than it had ever been done before. Man, was he pumped until he got a strange radio message from the captain. And the captain said, Sir, I would like to congratulate you on breaking the record on the speed of arriving at your destination. You were impeccable in following the rules, in going by the book. So you really covered the written rules, but you missed a small unwritten rule. Never leave port without the captain. I think Solomon would say that this morning to us. Never get up and go through your day without the captain of your soul at the helm. Giving you guidance. Because guys, it's just too easy. Too easy to find ourselves in a place of desperation when we're not close to. I don't know this morning where your heart may be. Maybe you have given your heart to Christ. You've heard this story of Jesus who came and He walked among us in human form being totally God and totally man. And He lived here and showed us what life's about and how God loves us. And then He had to go to die upon a cross. Then He was placed in a grave and then He rose from the grave and He's alive and and He wants to give you that life and that forgiveness if you'll just open your heart to Him. That's the gospel and, and that's available. All you do is just bow your heart before Him and say, God, I know I need You. Life is meaningless apart from You. Enter my life, Jesus. And He will. He does. Maybe you have done that though. Maybe you've just steered away. Maybe you left port without the captain and you find yourself where you don't want to be. And now you want him to get back on board. Then this message is also for you to come to the altar to pray, to come before the people and to make a decision he wants. But we're going to have, going to have a word of prayer. Be at the front and God's spoken to your heart. I encourage you just to obey and to come. Let's pray. Father, life is nuts. And I think people are even nuttier but it's because they don't understand who the Creator is and why they're here and what's available and what life really is. And I just pray this morning, God, that we might say yes to Your Spirit. Whatever that may be, if it's to come for the first time to the Creator, 
to the one who forgives. Father, may that one come. If it's to return after leaving for a time without the captain. Father, may that one return this morning and come. Uh, If it's to come in some other way to say yes to the call of Jesus, then may we simply obey, that's all. Just say yes to you. I pray, Father, that you might lead us this morning, that we might obey. Have your way, O Master. In your name we pray. Amen.